please pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we journey through this time of Lent, and Lord, as we uh, celebrate with Joseph this beginning of his journey officially here, Lord, we ask that you would give us your grace through your Holy Spirit, that we truly might be sons and daughters of light, not merely looking upon it, but seeking to know you, Jesus, the light of the world, to, to discuss things with you, to worship you, to meditate on you, to love you, and to follow you until the end of our days here on earth. Amen. Please be seated. It's funny how the Holy Spirit works. Um, as I was looking at the propers today, which is the assigned um, scripture readings, um, I thought, what more appropriate um, scripture readings can we have to baptism? Right? We're talking about being sons of light. We're, we have in the gospel reading the gospel core message itself given to us by Jesus himself. And we see in Hebrews that part of what it means to be a Christian is to know that Jesus is ever interceding on our behalf for us. We also are continuing with our series in Lent. And we are on the fourth installment of that series. If you recall, we're going off of the beginning to the Ash Wednesday service, inviting us to a Holy Lent. And this is the last time I'll read it to you, at least this year. The season of Lent provided a time in which converts to the faith were prepared for holy baptism. It was also a time when those who, because of notorious sins, had been separated from the body of the faithful, were reconciled by penitence and forgiveness and restored to the fellowship of the church. In this manner, the whole congregation was put in mind the message of pardon and absolution set forth in the gospel of our Savior and the need of all Christians continually that we have to renew our repentance and faith. I invite you, therefore, in the name of the church to the observance of a holy Lent by self-examination and repentance. That was our first sermon. By prayer and fasting. That was our second sermon. By almsgiving, we talked about last week. And finally, by reading and meditating on God's holy word. By reading and meditating upon God's holy word. And that's what we're talking about today. When you think of that phrase, to read and meditate on God's holy word, what strikes you? What thoughts enter your head or feelings enter your head? Is it maybe guilt? Oh, I don't do that enough. Is it perhaps a fond memory? I remember um, my grandfather, would, would, one of those wonderful stories that he would pass down. Uh, I'm sure we all have these kinds of stories that you've heard ad nauseum that you, you, you know that you'll never forget. 
But he used to tell us, grandkids, about how his mother, there up the hill uh, in their little house in Youngstown, up from the steel mill, how his mother would sit on the front porch and just read the Bible to him as a little boy. And he didn't understand everything that was going on, but it made an indelible imprint upon him that this was important, that this was part of who he was. And he was actually, ironically, not a great Bible reader. (laughs) Um, Grandpa would listen to the Bible, like on books on tape and things like that, but he could, he could never really master this idea of meditating the Bible, and yet he knew it was important. He knew that it was part of the core of who he was. That's a fond memory that was passed down to me. Maybe something like that's been passed down to you, or maybe you have a memory of this, perhaps. When was it that you first accepted Christ or first came to the the full knowledge of the gospel and started reading voraciously and were touched by the living and dynamic word of God? Those are important things to cling on to, friends. And if you've never had that experience, boy, you're missing out. And I long for you to have that experience. Because there's something powerful in the Word of God that's unlike any other book that we might read. There's something powerful in the spoken Word of God, unlike any other book that we might hear read aloud, which is why we as Anglicans read so much Scripture from the lectern. No matter what comes over you when you hear this phrase today, reading about and meditating upon God's Word... I think that it can be said of all of us that we need to do it more. That we should long to do it more. I can tell you that sometimes being the professional that I am having to research for sermons and things, sometimes I miss out on this because I'm so busy reading God's word to preach that I miss reading God's word to read God's word. So I long to do this more, actually. And I've heard it said that the Bible is an instruction book. But if it's only an instruction book, you're missing the point. True, the Bible tells us how to live our lives and gives us examples in some places. Examples what not to do in other places, right? And it's true that it's God's law and God's commandments found in it. And yet, that's not really the point of reading the Bible, If you're just reading it as a manual for how to live, you're missing an important part because you're missing seeing Jesus. You're missing seeing Jesus. What do I mean by that? Well, the written word of God is about the living word of God. The written word of God reveals who Jesus is to us. Do you know that the word is another name for Jesus. You've probably heard that before. In the beginning of John's gospel, in the beginning it was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? It's talking about the second person of the Trinity. And yet, so many people will ask, how do I know God's will? How can I figure out what God wants? And the answer stares us in the face. If we want to know who God is, we look to Jesus. If we want to know who Jesus is, we look the Bible. We look to the Bible. And so often, if we would just take that step of being interactive with it, 
on a weekly or daily more and more, it would help us to see more and more who Jesus is and therefore would answer, what does he want for my life? Because what God wants for our lives is a reflection of who Jesus is in the Bible. Not that we're all called to do what Jesus did exactly, but Jesus calls us to walk in his footsteps, to take up our own cross and to follow him. That's what's going on exactly in today's um, gospel reading uh, with John, in John chapter 12, verse 20. Open with me, if you would, John chapter 12, verse 20 and 21. It's in your insert there, too. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And today's sermon is simple. If you take anything from it, take this attitude of the Greeks. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. It's a fascinating thing going on here in the original language that this was written. The word here, to see, is not the word to see as in to look around. That word in the Greek is, is blepo, and it's used all over the New Testament that, that to watch or to see, to see with your eyes. The word here is actually another word, Ido, meaning to perceive, to discern, and in this context, to interview, to perceive, to discern, to interview. So what are these Greeks wanting? They don't just want to see this person that's been doing all these miracles and this person who now famously has overturned the tables in the temple and driven out the money changers. They want to talk with him. They want to see what this guy's all about. They want to engage with him. They want to perceive who he truly is. We don't know why these Greeks come to Jesus at this point. It's an interesting shift because Jesus here speaks to Gentiles, right? Those non-Jews, Greeks, that are seeking him. Maybe it's because Jesus had made the ruckus in the temple, um, in Mark chapter 11, which uh, Mark follows more of the chronology of what's going on than John does, we hear Jesus turning over the temple money changers, tables, driving them out, and he says, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. Well, rather than focusing on the den of robbers part, isn't it that you have made... Isn't it that it's called the house of prayer for all the nations? Perhaps that's why the Greeks' ears perk up. Oh, all the nations, that's us. More than just the Jews. Whatever it is, they boldly come to the apostles as foreigners, as outsiders. And they seek to see, to discern, to perceive who Jesus is. And my point here is that that's what should drive us, particularly during the season of Lent with our scripture reading 
and our scripture meditation. That's why it's one of those devotions listed. Because we've been talking about removing things out of the way from Jesus, stand, that stand between us and Jesus, right? We talk about fasting. We talk about, um, well, let's see, repentance. We talk about getting those things out of the way that stand between Jesus and us. And then last week we talked about alms, knowing the heart of Jesus, knowing the compassion of Jesus. And this week we're talking about what? Boldly approaching Jesus because of who he is, because as Hebrews says, he'll deal gently with us because he longs to help us become more like him. And so my point here is, does fear ever stand in your way of reading and meditating on God's word? That's a tricky question, actually. Does fear ever stand in our way of reading and meditating on God's word? Are you ever afraid of what you're going to run into? Perhaps it's an idea that might challenge your view of life. Perhaps an idea that might challenge a tradition or something that you hold dear. Does that fear ever ever grab you? Does it ever keep you from reading God's word? Perhaps it's something that you're struggling with. There's something that's uncomfortable that you're dealing with. Perhaps you feel unworthy and in fear, don't want to approach Jesus. All of these things can stand in the way, even of Christians. It seems complicated sometimes. And sometimes the text itself seems complicated. Does that fear ever drive you away? You think to yourself, well, you know, I don't have any degrees, and how am I supposed to read the Bible? Or, I, don't, I can't read the original language. How am I supposed to know what's going on? Does that fear ever stand in your way of reading God's word? Friends, I bid you and ask you, do not, do not let those fears stand in your way of God's word. Find a translation that's helpful to you. If, if you like the King James, read the King James. If that's too hard, don't read the King James. If you like the ESV, which is the version we use from the pulpit here, read from the ESV. If that stands in your way, find another translation. Do you know that we live in a time where there's more translations than ever? of God's word. Some of them are more accurate, some of them are less accurate, but all of them give who Jesus is from the paraphrases to the word-for-word translations. If you have that question, I'm happy to answer it. I know Mark's happy to answer it too, our seminarian. But don't let that language barrier or understanding fear stand in your way of reading God's word either. If you want to dig deeper, Notice here, we're told not just to read the Bible, but to meditate on it. Then maybe a commentary would be helpful to you. There's a great series that I commend to people. It's called The Bible Speaks Today. It's a very simple paperback commentary on each book of the Bible. Or maybe a study Bible would be helpful to you. Take a snippet of Scripture. Because what does it mean to meditate on it? It means not... To read through the whole chapter, but to pick a few verses and let it soak in, right? Great meditative verse is today's gospel. Sir, I would see Jesus. Ask yourself, what does that mean to the Greeks? How would they encounter that? What does that mean to me? 
what stands in my way. Think about it. Let God speak to you through it. We used to have a saying in seminary, and I think it was a good one. Not everything you learn in But this one was particularly good. We used to say, don't just read the Bible. Let the Bible read you. Don't just read the Bible. Let the Bible read you. And what does that mean? That we just don't come to the Bible as we would another book, coldly looking at facts, but that we come to the Bible with a heart warmed by the Holy Spirit. We come to God's Word asking it to shape us, to read us, to look at us. Because when we look at the Bible, we see, yes, that we don't measure up, but we also see God's great mercy and forgiveness. God is longing to know you more. He's longing to have you know him more. And he works through his word most powerfully. So I challenge you. We're coming to the time of Lent, to Passion Tide, to Palm Sunday, to Tenebrae, to Monday Thursday, to Good Friday, to the Easter Vigil, to Easter morning. It is loaded with scripture, friends. Tenebrae itself is a beautiful work of scripture from the Old Testament showing forth how Jesus fulfills God's plan. Don't let these things just wash over you and walk away. Here's my challenge to you. Whatever services you come to, and I ask that you try to come to as many as you can, pick one scripture verse or a couple verses from that service and write it down and use that as a meditation during Holy Week from each service. Does that make sense? So Palm Sunday will have the great triumphal entry. Tenebrae, we have Lamentations reading. Monday, Thursday, we have the new commandment that Jesus gives us to love one another. Good Friday, we see the sacrifice upon the cross. Holy Saturday, we look with hope at the bursting forth from the tomb. Each one of those has got powerful scriptures associated with it. Pick one, take one, and chew on it. Let it read you this year. Let it transform you and see what happens. See what happens. Let us pray. Blessed Lord, who caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen.